This is Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. Welcome back to the Lawfather podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, we are spending one of the last two podcasts here in the original Lawfather headquarters in about two weeks from now, and we're at December 7th. Uh, right around December 16th, we move into our new location. So check us out there. We're going to be moving to 202 South Rome Ave, uh, Suite 150. Uh, I'll be letting you guys know about that. I'm sure you'll see it on social media. And along with social media, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we put a lot of information out there, both on the Law Father side and on the Frankie Injury Law Instagram and Facebook pages. So check us out on those platforms. And let's get into the show today. We're going to cover uh, a few different topics, one of them being Donald Trump and how maybe, just maybe, you could see Donald Trump be the next or remain the current president of the United States. And also, uh, there was a Publix employee who recently, uh, by recently, uh, by uh, I think it was mid to end April, uh, had passed away from the coronavirus or from complications from the coronavirus because uh, the coronavirus, from what I understand, in and of itself doesn't kill you. It's uh, the complications that result from it. So we're going to take a look into that. And, you know, one of the things that as we're getting ready for the show today came up, we were talking about different lawyer billboards and you see it sometimes where, oh, my lawyer got me $100,000. My lawyer got me a million dollars, right? You know, one of the things that that I look at when I see that uh, and having had cases that are a million dollar cases and uh, been a part of, been a co-plaintiff in a multi-million dollar case, just kind of keep in mind, you don't necessarily want those injuries that come along with a case resolving for a million dollars. Uh, there is a definite trade-off, right? Because when you look at the value of a personal injury case, a lot of it comes down to, not a lot of it, it, it does 100% come down to how hurt you were, right? And the more hurt you are in a crash, the more value your case has. So keep that in mind when you see those signs. It's not necessarily about who can get you the most money because if you have a very very competent lawyer, uh, they're going to be able to get you the most money possible for your case. I would say find somebody that you like and find somebody that is going to communicate with you in the way that you want to be communicated with. All right. So that's that's my little aside on that as we were talking about uh, some lawyer advertising uh, before starting the show today. But let's look at Donald Trump. And this is not meant to be a partisan discussion. This is not meant to take away from what the end result is is going to be. Okay. What we're looking at today is the theoretical versus the practical. And the practical tells us that Joe Biden is going to be the next president of the United States. But I think it's interesting to look at the theoretical sometimes, okay? It's just kind of an interesting exercise to think, hey, how could this happen, right? Because Joe Biden's won the popular vote. Joe Biden, by all showings, has also won the electoral vote, right? So keep that in mind. Here in the United States, it's really a two-part process. You have the popular vote, which is you and I go out, And we vote and we cast our vote and those votes are tallied state by state. And each state has a member of the Electoral College. 
Okay, the Electoral College is actually who elects the president. And those members of the Electoral College have votes. Okay, that's where this thing can kind of change. And if we look back to when Trump was Trump was elected president, Clinton actually had more of the popular vote, but Trump had more of the electoral votes. So he won more states that had a higher number of electoral votes. Okay. But Clinton got more of the popular or the you and I vote. But here's how it stands. There are 17 states that don't have a statute that requires the members of their electoral colleges to follow the popular vote. 17. The remainder of the states have statutes in place that require the members of their electoral college to follow the popular vote. Okay? So here's where it could get interesting. Of those 17, seven of those 17 are major electoral vote counts. Okay? To the point where if Trump can get seven states of electors to flip their votes, he can actually win by well over 100 votes. He would have more than the 270 that's required. Okay, 270 electoral votes is the minimum requirement to be president of the United States. All right? So keep that in mind. There is, although more theoretical than practical, a chance that President Donald Trump could remain president of the United States. Now, like I said, kind of a fun exercise, kind of fun to think about that all you have to do is flip the electors in seven states because their states don't require their electors to follow the popular vote. Okay? Could be done. Could be done. Probably not going to happen, but kind of an interesting thing to look at. Uh, kind of another interesting piece that I read about as, as looking at some of the election stuff. President Trump got the most popular votes of any sitting president in the United States of America. Okay? So think about that, right? 45th president of the United States. Now, I don't know how many of the presidents over time. I'm sure there's somebody out there listening that knows it right off the top of their head that have been up for re-election, okay? Um, and I suppose all of them, uh, for the most part, uh, except for uh, Kennedy and, and Lincoln and uh, the guys who didn't survive their first term. But that said, uh, he had, President Trump had the most votes of the popular vote of any sitting president of the United States. So, you know, it, it's kind of a testament to, and, and look, I, I know the first thought in this is going to be, oh my God, it's got to be voter fraud, right? Uh, no, I, I just don't think that's what it is. I, I think it's a testament to the fact that we as a country have gotten the word out that every vote counts and everybody needs to get out there to vote. Because if you think about it, if Trump had the most of any sitting president, Biden had more. Okay, so and what I believe is I believe we had record turnouts in this year's voting. So regardless of what side you're on, I think that's awesome that we had the highest voter turnouts of any election ever. Okay, maybe it's because we have more people. Right. So, hey, stats lie. Keep that in mind. Stats do lie. I don't know what the percentage of the age of people who can vote compared to the percentage of people who actually did vote okay but like i said keep in mind stats can lie but on its face kind of it, good showing good election good voting okay and that's where we stand here uh most likely 
as I mentioned from the practical standpoint, Joe Biden will be our president uh, come January. But also keep in mind, Trump is still president until January. Uh, there's really nothing Joe Biden can do in the meantime uh, to really enact anything other than to get things set up that as soon as he's sworn in, he can start making some moves. So let's transition to a topic that really is kind of forefront in everybody's minds. It really became a key point in the election. And let's look at the coronavirus pandemic. And let's look at how that ties into the legal world. Okay. Those of you who live in the Southeast, primarily Florida, but I know this company has moved up. I know they're they're in North Carolina. I believe they're in Georgia. Uh, not sure what other states they're in, but Publix. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Publix and Tampa Bay, uh, A, they have really good subs. Uh, some people call them pub subs. Okay. But they're a grocery store. All right. That is what they are. They are a grocery store. So um, those of you uh, up in the Northeast, there's uh, Super Fresh, uh, Save a Lot, I believe. Okay. Same thing. Publix is just um, a local grocery store chain. And as I mentioned, they're moving up uh, further north into the Southeast. But back in March, March into April, okay, Publix had an employee, a deli employee, who was an el- uh, not an elderly gentleman, but he was he was older. Okay, he, he was he was in well, I guess what we would consider the the class of citizens that are more at risk for coronavirus. Okay, uh, at least based on what we know now. And he went to work and asked to wear a mask, and public said no. And like I said, just keep in mind that this is really an important point to consider as we look at this: the time, right? March into April. Okay, that's our time frame that we're looking at here. This is when this happened. And Publix said, no, you can't wear a mask. Okay, so he doesn't. And he has a coworker who apparently had symptoms, had coronavirus symptoms, didn't tell anybody, went to work and passed coronavirus off to this individual who later died from coronavirus complications. All right, so let's unpack this because that family has filed a lawsuit against Publix for their failure to allow him to wear a mask. All right. Lot going on here. There is a lot going on from the legal side and it's all very interesting. And as I've said in the past, you know, things may be legal, uh, may be interesting from the legal side. Okay. There's usually a really bad end result that happens in real life to that. So I never want to take away from that. I'm always cognizant of that. It's something that we work with and deal with every day. It's something that when I was a deputy, we dealt with every day for the most part, either as a deputy or as a lawyer or any law enforcement that is or and a lawyer. Generally speaking, you're dealing with people at their worst times. Okay. So I don't ever want to take away from that. But at the same time, as a lawyer, I, I find certain aspects interesting. And I like looking at the mechanics of how things work in the legal world. And I, I, that's what I want to impress upon you as we talk about this today. So there's a few things here, and I've mentioned the time frame over and over, all right? It may seem like we know a lot about coronavirus now. We are in December, December 2020, but think back to what we knew in March, okay? Think back to even February, right? When this thing supposedly was still in China, right? Although I know people who I've talked to who were 
really sick in February when supposedly this thing hadn't hit the U.S. Later on, get the antibody test, had no other symptoms in the in, in the in between time, right? And tested positive for the antibodies. So chances are this thing was around before we even knew it was around. Uh, if you look back to February, I remember seeing the stock market take a big hit, and I remember. Uh, I think I was watching Fox News and they were just talking about how, hey, the stock market is taking a dip. Keep in mind, it has nothing to do with politics here in the U.S. And it had everything to do with the coronavirus in China. And it was solely, solely in China at the time. And, and there were no known U.S. cases at the time. And it was I don't even think at that time it was anywhere else in the world or at least known to be anywhere else in the world other than China. So that's what we were dealing with. February and March isn't that much past February when we look at, you know, the fact that March is the next month after February. Um, so we start dealing with a disease that we don't know a lot about that starts in a heavily, heavily state run government, right? And China's not necessarily known for uh, being very transparent. Uh, and I think that can lead to some of the complications. So now all of a sudden we get into March and Think back, there was, don't wear a mask because healthcare providers need all the masks. We have mask shortages, okay? And, oh, by the way, a mask isn't going to help you, right? Only the N95 masks. Those are the only ones that will help you, right? Now, there's been some different science along the way, but we're solely focused on February, March, April. And then things changed a little bit, and... It was said, okay, wear a mask, but wearing a mask doesn't protect you, it protects others, okay? So that's a very important point when we look at this because it wasn't until, I, I, I honestly don't know what month, but I feel like it wasn't more than a couple months ago, maybe May or June, that they came out and said, well, and it may have honestly been later than that, but they came and said, well, actually, wearing a mask protects you from everybody else, right? Protects the person who has it if they're wearing a mask. But if you're wearing a mask, there actually is some benefit to you, which I kind of think makes sense. I, I never could wrap my head around the fact that if I have a mask on and I breathe out, that I can't infect anybody else because I'm protecting them. But that the max, mask doesn't work in the reverse with things coming in. I never quite could wrap my head around that. But, you know, Far be it from me. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I, I'm sure there are people much, much smarter than me that had that whole thing figured out. But now it's basically, hey, yeah, it, it pretty much protects both people. Okay. But when we look at the legal side of things, right, we look at what they knew at the time. We can't look back and say, what did Publix know in December to tell them how to, how to operate in March and April? Okay, that's the important part there, right? I, I do think that this family is going to have a very, really very difficult time in this lawsuit against Publix because there are so many vari variables. And I think the mask piece is one. So he asked to wear a mask. But what we knew at the time, right, or at least what the science told us at the time was, hey, masks only protect the you against somebody else who has it. So, uh, said a different way because i know that really didn't make any sense as it came out of my mouth i realized that all i did was confuse you listening out there the only person protected um if i have coronavirus and i'm wearing a mask i'm protecting you who may not be wearing a mask right um it didn't work at that time they didn't think it worked in the opposite right so so the public's deli employee wearing a mask wasn't necessarily going to protect him right 
And like I said, we know differently now, or at least we think differently now, right? But at the time, that's what was out there. That's what was known at the time. Now, another piece to this, the public's employee, the other public's employee had symptoms. Did publics know? And I think you really could potentially have a situation where this case hinges on should publics have known or did they actually know that this person had symptoms of coronavirus, okay? And how much did we know at that particular time? I mean, now we think, uh, hey, it's pretty simple. If you've lost taste or smell, if you have a fever, if you just don't feel well, stay away from everybody, right? But we're 10 months into this thing, nine to 10 months into this thing, okay? Uh, We've learned a lot. Society has learned a lot. The scientists have learned a lot, all right? You see signs all over the place that tell you the rules. So things are different now, okay? But let's assume for the fact, as we look at it, as we talk about this, that, hey, publics should have known, right, what the symptoms were, and they should have been monitoring their employees, right? I I don't think temperature checks were necessarily mainstream at that time, uh, although they they really pretty much are now. Um, You know, recently went to Snowcat Ridge, by the way, not an advertisement for this, but great place uh, if you ever get a chance to go take the kids. Uh, but they check your temperature as you walk in, and it's all outdoors, and it's it's simple. You know, it, it's it's not any big deal. You just take your temperature and move on, right? I don't think that was happening back in March. I don't think we necessarily knew that strong of a correlation to this thing, but we know it now, right? Now, did publics know? And I think, as I said, that's where this thing is going to hinge on. Did publics know? that this employee had symptoms. Because how could you should have known, right? And and so we look at it from the legal world, we have known or should have known. So active knowledge, or what we call constructive knowledge. Constructive knowledge is the should have known. Actual knowledge is, well, yeah, I took his temperature and it was 100 degrees, but I let him work, okay? That's actual. Constructive knowledge would be, you know, hey, he was there for sufficient time. Uh, I saw him... Um, shivering, yet it was hot in the building. And yeah, I, I thought maybe he had a temperature, but or a fever rather, and I didn't check it. Okay. That would be constructive. That would be the should have known. And that's where I think this whole lawsuit falls because the reality is, is public's at fault or is the employee at fault? If the employee, the other employee, the, the original sick employee, had told public's, Right, or let's flip that around. If that employee hid it from Publix that he was sick because he was concerned about his paycheck and he wanted to make sure that he got paid, right? Is Publix really at fault for that? If there were no other indicators, and I don't think I don't think you can. I don't think you can pin that on Publix if there was no way for them to know, based on where we were with what the employee said and where we were at the time. Okay, so I think this is going to be a very difficult lawsuit. I think it's going to hinge on what that employee did. And I don't really think that you're going to win on, hey, this guy should have been allowed to wear a mask because of what we knew at the time, right? It's really easy December 7th to say, Publix, you were wrong. You should have let him because we know now that that can help, right? We didn't necessarily know as much in March and April. So really unfortunate ending to that story. But I do think that there is the possibility that the liability falls more on the other individual 
than it does on Publix. Um, could it fall on Publix? Yes, if they actually knew. If that employee goes, hey, I feel sick, but I'm going to tough it out and I'm going to work anyway. Publix probably should have known. But then also, how much did we know at the time? So, you know, if if it was something that really at the time, and, and this would take a lot of research, you'd have to really do some digging and go back in time a little bit. Now, luckily in 2020, going back in time and looking at what we knew and what was put out there by the media, really easy. Okay. 1920, that would have been a little bit more difficult, a little bit more time consuming. But now we just go to the computer, put in a search, and there we go. We have everything that was going on in March of 2020. So that is that is what I see there. It's going to be, I think, a tough road. Uh, my guess is, like most cases, it gets resolved and settled. Uh, Publix has insurance, and their insurance will cut a check to make it go away. That's likely how I see this thing playing out. Um, I mean, I'd say somewhere in the vicinity of 95 to 99% of cases resolve via a settlement in that manner. Uh, I'd say it's expensive especially harder now to push cases to trial. Uh, I love trying cases, but we have such a backlog right now. Courts aren't even fully open yet. Um, you know, not really sure how this is going to work moving forward, how anybody's ever going to clear the backlog of cases, but we'll get there eventually. Uh, eventually, we'll get back in the courtrooms. Uh, and I'll tell you what, Zoom hearings are great. Uh, if you ever want to get a little glimpse, uh, take a look at our Instagram. Uh, sometimes grab a little quick pick, but it's, you know, no client information on there, no, no information that it's just, honestly, it's a bunch of lawyers and suits, right? Filling up a computer screen. Let's just call it what it is, right? But that's what it is these days. There's some good and bad that comes along with that much more efficient. I can actually get stuff done while other hearings are going on because they're, they're big cattle calls uh, for the most part, a lot of the hearings that we have. So we're all just sitting on a Zoom call waiting for our name to be called. And well, I can put something up on the computer screen, do some work in the meantime, which you know I would typically do uh, well, uh, while we were in person for hearings. But I'd be on my iPad and it's not quite as uh, efficient as actually being in front of the computer. So that's where we are now. And uh, just want to look at a listener question here. Uh, we did have uh, one, and what we have is, how do you know if you have a strong case? All right, and I'm assuming they're asking about a car crash case. How do they know if they have a strong car crash case? Okay, could be any case in all honesty, but we'll focus on car crash cases and how you know if you have a good case because, well, that's what we primarily do. And... You know, I'd say the number one way to know if you have a good case is to call an attorney because there are so many different variables to what makes a good case. Look at what we just tried to talk about with Publix. How many different variables did I throw out there in this coronavirus and Publix case, right? And yeah, you may think, well, it's complicated because, well, it's coronavirus and it's Publix and Publix is a big company and coronavirus is complicated, right? And we're talking about what did we know in March? Sure. Yep, absolutely. That is complicated. But so is your garden variety car crash because no two crashes are the same, right? No two individuals are the same. No way, shape, or form. Uh, so how do you know if you have a good case? Call a lawyer, right? I prefer you to call the law father, but if you don't call the law father, call somebody, right? Um, I won't tell you who to call, right? Because they would be competition. and I wouldn't send you to the competition, but you know, 
call 855 Law Father. I'll take good care of you. So, you know, what I look at is I look at the property damage, right? Actually, take a step back. The first thing I look at is the liability. Who caused the crash? Okay. If you ran a red light and run into somebody, probably not going to be much of a case there. Okay. There may be, maybe, maybe a slight chance, but most likely zero chance, right? Maybe 1%, right? Rear end crash. Hey, we're starting off good, right? You were the person that got rear ended. We know we're starting the makings of a good case. Now, what's the next thing I look at? What was the property damage? Which says, how bad was that crash, right? Did, was there just some paint transfer? You can't even see the damage. Yeah. Uh, well, mm, sure. Um, not a great case, but could you have some injuries? Sure. Right. Your car is totaled because the trunk of your car is in your back seat, and the, the front of the car that rear ended you is just demolished. Yeah. Okay. Now we're starting to build the building blocks of what's a great case. Okay. And then we have to look at your injuries. And not only your current injuries, but what do your prior injuries look like? Because did you have three crashes prior to this? Or were you a weightlifter or an athlete who hurt them, hurt their back, had herniations and disc bulges and back injuries prior to, right? That's all going to play a factor in, right? And it's going to determine the value. Because, yeah, in Florida, you can have an aggravation of a pre-existing condition, which is really just a fancy way of saying you had an injury before. And this crash made that injury worse, right? Okay. But that's not going to be worth as much as a brand new injury. So there are a lot of factors, a lot of variables, right? Um, we could even get into what's the, what's the insurance coverage look like? Does the person who hit you have any assets? Those two things play into it as well. Because, hey, as I tell people, we can walk in the door as someone who doesn't have any insurance and doesn't have any assets. We can go to court and get a million-dollar verdict, and we're going to get a piece of paper that says you're owed a million dollars. Well, take that piece of paper, put it in a frame, put it on the wall, because that's the whole value of what that piece of paper is going to be, right? If a person doesn't have anything, you're not going to get anything, right? And it's it's a harsh truth. It's a harsh reality, but that's what it is. Until the state of Florida puts mandatory bodily injury coverage in place, and everybody has that, which you're never going to have. There's always going to be be people who let their policies lapse. Just, hey, I'm just not going to get insurance. I'm just going to roll the dice, right? There's always going to be that. I would caution you out there, get uninsured motorist coverage. That's the only sure way to protect yourself, the only sure way to make sure that you and your family are taken care of, okay? So got a little bit astray from that question, right, with the uninsured motorist, but Get it, ask your insurance agent about it, tell them the law father said it's an important thing to have and go from there with that. As always though, this is the Law Father Podcast. Check us out on all of our social media, Instagram, Facebook. We're gonna be getting TikTok restarted here. So you'll be able to see some of the video from the podcast on there as well. I know it's a crazy, crazy thing, but now that it's owned by a US company, I think some of the security is a little bit safer there. Uh, you'll be able to check us out on YouTube. We'll be posting these live videos uh, up on YouTube. I know it's really interesting seeing my face here sitting in front of the camera and doing the podcast. I get it, I know. But if you are inclined to look at this pretty or ugly face, depending on how you want to look at it uh, on YouTube. Take a look at that. But as always, it's the Law Father from the Law Father headquarters. Law Father out.
This is a Real Animals with Captain Mike Anderson Quick Fix on Radio Influence Tampa Bay. This is the second time we were able to get this guy on the phone. Super busy, uh, super active, inshore charters, tarpon charters, gator hunts, airboat rides. He does a little bit of everything over four decades of guiding experience here on Florida's West Coast. Uh, Of course, talking about my good friend, Captain Dave Marquette. So I want to get your thoughts on snook, redfish, and trout uh, as we move forward into 2021. Mike, this is a dilemma, maybe one of the biggest fishery dilemmas that the FWC has ever faced. Certainly has impacted tens of thousands of recreational anglers. I've been asked the question you just asked me uh, by quite a few people. There really are a number of different ways to look at this whole situation. There, there are good sides and bad sides of the closure. You know, the closure was necessary because of the the absolutely devastating red tide. It became a murder tide for the first time, really, in in my experience, professionally guiding more than 50 years and, and fishing these areas for more than 60. What we have done in Tampa Bay, we have educated porpoises and cormorants to follow recreational fishing boats around and eat the fish that we're releasing because of state regulation. There are very few places that you can go in Tampa Bay and not have a porpoise or two or five show up and lay right on the bottom around the boat, wait on you to catch something and turn it loose. So that's a a management factor that is going to have to be added into the new regulations. The Real Animals Podcast with Captain Mike Anderson can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and ritampabay.com.